0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus had entered Jerusalem triumphantly the day before and immediately went and cleansed the temple before going to Bethany in order to stay the night. He returned the next day and began to preach and teach in the temple courts. And that is where we are when we have our gospel lesson, Monday of Holy Week. While he was teaching, some Sadducees came and attempted to trap him, yet he was able to answer them well. They tried to argue against the resurrection from the dead, because they did not believe in it. But Jesus shut them down by proving the resurrection from the Torah, The only books of the Old Testament that the Sadducees held sacred. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that is, their greatest rivals, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Maybe they were trying to have him fall into a trap, as they often did, trying to trip him up some way to get the people to denounce Jesus. Or maybe they were testing him to see if he would continue to answer questions in a way that would shame the Sadducees and by association honor the Pharisees, who unlike the Sadducees believed in the resurrection. No matter their motive, a lawyer, an expert in the law of God, asks Jesus a question regarding the great commandment of the law. Jesus' answer did not seem to displease the lawyer or the Pharisees. It did not ruffle any feathers. Maybe some thought they could use this time to really put Jesus into the Pharisee camp. Or maybe they would be trying to think of another way to trip him up. But before they were able to do this, our Lord Jesus poses a question himself. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? To the Pharisees, this would seem like a softball question. It was easy. And so they said to him, The son of David. Everybody knew that. The Christ, the Messiah, was to be the son of David. In fact, that was one of the Messiah's titles. To them, it must have seemed a Sabbath school question. And they answered it with confidence. But Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This question from our Lord goes unanswered by the Pharisees. They could not answer him, for to do so would be to prove Jesus' greater knowledge of the Scriptures and his superior teaching authority. The Pharisees, like the Sadducees earlier, had been silenced. No more would they or anyone else ask him any questions. But that leaves us with an unanswered question. If then David calls the Christ Lord, how is he his son? At first glance, that might not seem like that big of a question to us. We live in a society where upward mobility is expected, where children are supposed to be greater than their parents, more successful, richer, happier, etc. At the same time, children grow up, move far away, and sometimes have little contact with their parents, visiting maybe a couple of times a year. This was not the case at that time. Then families lived close together always in the same village sometimes in the same home and father and mother were always more honored than their children and always owed more honor by them it would be very difficult to think of a situation where a father or mother would call their child lord but there is an even greater problem that with David calling the Christ lord if he is his son david Well, he was David. He was the greatest king of Israel. The royal house was named after him. All kings of Judah, his direct descendants, as well as those kings of Israel from other dynasties, compared themselves to David. David was to the Jews as Charlemagne was to the medieval Europeans. He was the archetype of a king, the king to whom all others were judged in comparison. And with the recent death of Elizabeth and the ri- rise of Charles our King, we can better understand this, I think. While she lived, Elizabeth would never have called her son King or Lord. She was the Queen, the Sovereign. Her o- the only one who was her King and her Lord was Jesus Christ himself. Likewise, now that Charles is King, he would not call either of his sons Lord while remaining king. As king, as the great king, as the great king to whom God gave many great and glorious promises concerning himself and his descendants, David would not call his son Lord. And yet in the Spirit, that is, under the inspiration and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, David penned these words, which we find in Psalm 110. THE LORD SAID TO MY LORD, SIT AT MY RIGHT HAND UNTIL I PUT ALL OF YOUR ENEMIES UNDER YOUR FEET. THE LORD SAID TO MY LORD. Indeed, it is an important question for Jesus to ask the Pharisees. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? David in the Spirit hears these words spoken by God, and as a prophet in the Spirit, he writes them down. We know this because the Hebrew of the psalm is probably better translated as, Thus says the Lord to my Lord. And so he signals with a divine oracle that this is what he has heard in the spirit. David sees prophetically the divinity of the Christ, the Messiah. He sees that the coming Christ, the promised Christ, is the Son of God. And in posing this question to the Pharisees, Christ Jesus challenges them to make the same conclusion that David does, that Christ is divine. Yes, here we have our Lord claiming to be divine, claiming to be the Son of God. Being divine, he is, according to this divine nature, equal to the Father. He is almighty, all-knowing, all places at once, he is eternal and infinite, etc. But the Pharisees were also correct, just as they were incorrect. For Christ is also David's son. According to the flesh, Jesus Christ, the son of David, descended from his royal line, from his mother, the Blessed Virgin, as well as through his legal father, Joseph. And David, in the Spirit, recorded this in the psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all of your enemies under your feet. Sit at my right hand. The Son of God, because He is God, because He shares in the same divine nature as the Father, because there is only one God, cannot sit at the right hand of God. He is equal to the Father. He cannot receive anything, for for everything already is His. And so, sit at my right hand is a reference to the fact that the Christ is not only the Son of God, but He is also a man. The Christ, the Son of David, is a man with a complete human nature. A human nature that makes him a bodily creature, flesh and blood, finite and physically limited, able to suffer, able to die, able to move from one place to another, to be hungry, thirsty, hot, cold, etc. Jesus the Christ did not just appear one day at the River Jordan, but he was born. He nursed at his mother's breast. He grew. He learned. According to his human nature, Jesus the Christ is able to be raised to the right hand of God. He is able to be seated at his right hand, to have all things put under his feet. This can only happen as a man, with a human nature. And so what does this mean? How can this be? He is both David's son, but he is also God's son. Moses' words from the Old Testament lesson are appropriate here. The Lord is your God, who has done these great and terrifying things. Yes, the Incarnation, where the Son, the Word, became flesh, is a great and terrifying thing, and it is done for you. This is something that has never happened before and never will again. It is awe-inspiring and marvelous to consider. Jesus, the Christ, has both a divine and a human nature, but he is one person. The natures are united in a personal union so that there are not two Christs, one divine Christ and one human Christ, but there is one Christ, who is divine and human. One and the same person, divine and human. These natures do not change, they are not mixed into a third thing, but they are distinct, keeping what is proper to themselves. Yet these natures are united in the one person, Jesus Christ. And in this union, it is an indescribable communion of the divine and human natures, even while they do not change or mix. The ancient church fathers used the image of an iron poker in fire. If you stick in iron in the fire, it remains iron. The fire remains fire, but there is a communion of sorts between them. When you remove the iron from the fire, the fire is in fire the rod. It is in the iron, and the iron is able to do things that the fire does. It glows, it produces heat, it burns things. It isn't a perfect analogy, of course, but it helps us understand how Jesus Christ can be both divine and human while being one person, and how, as the one person, each nature keeps its properties without changing. But why does he do this? For you he has done these great and terrifying things. For you and for your redemption from sin and death. For you and from, for your salvation. So that three days after the event in our gospel lesson, it was not merely a man that suffered, died and was buried, descended into hell, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and by sitting at God's right hand received God's majesty and power for us, but it was a man whose human nature had a profound union and communion with the Son of God, and was one person with him. Because of this we can say, and it is true, that God's Son suffered for us. God's Son died for us. God cannot suffer. God cannot die. But the Son of God, because he accepted a human nature into his person, has done this. And he has done this for you. According to his human nature, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, died for your sin, taking it to the cross that he might cancel the record of debt that stood against us. He died, being God and man, so that by his death he would destroy death, the ancient enemy, so that even it would be put under his feet as a vanquished foe. In doing this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, redeemed our human nature, which he assumed into his person. St. Paul writes in Galatians, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law. He has redeemed, renewed, and restored our flesh and blood, our minds, our wills, our souls. St. Gregory Nazianzen famously writes, What has not been assumed by Christ, has not been healed. The Son of God in the Incarnation has assumed our entire human nature. He has healed it and He has redeemed it. All who by God's grace have faith in Jesus Christ, who trust in Him because He has done these things for us, is received into fellowship with Him. This faith also justifies before God, so that for the sake of Christ Jesus and what He has done, our sins are forgiven and we are counted as righteous. By his grace, God has called us into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. And by faith, we receive all the benefits of his fellowship. Forgiveness, life, salvation, union with Christ. In this fellowship, Christ dwells in us, and we are in him, so that we, as his people, are one body. Through his Spirit, he works in us, that, having been made new creatures in him, we may do the good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to do, those which flow from love because he has first loved us, and done great and terrifying things for us to save us, a love for God above all things, and a love for our neighbor as ourselves, a love enkindled and guided by the Holy Spirit, who seeks, which seeks to share the good news of Christ Jesus the Son of David and David's Lord, who has redeemed us lost and condemned persons by his blood, and by his death has destroyed death, and by his resurrection has brought us life eternal. A love that seeks justice for the fatherless and the widow, which loves the sojourner and the poor, giving him food and clothing. A love with its foundation in in our faith, in the mystery of Jesus Christ. God and man in one person. May our Lord Jesus Christ sustain us guiltless until the last day when he is revealed, and all the dead are raised, so that we may receive the blessings which God has prepared for us through his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.